You're listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life with Dan Simon. First really significant death in my life was when I was 29 and my fiance was brutally murdered. And I didn't know how to deal with death at that time. I probably had PTSD, which was not a diagnosis at that period of time. Right. Welcome to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life podcast about people's personal journeys of discovery and recreation. I'm Dan Simon. We dig deep to understand the essence of each guest. How did they get to this point in their life? We all have stories to tell about our own lives that help the rest of us realize who we are and what we could become. As a life coach, I've always been intrigued by the stories people tell. What were the trials, tragedies, and triumphs they encountered while navigating through life? There are no mistakes in life, only experiences and lots of contrast. If we can have compassion for others, can't we have the same for ourselves? That's always been my personal mission, to remind people the truth of who they are, to remind them that they've done their very best. In each episode, that's what you'll find, a beautiful soul doing their best to create a life that's fulfilling and rewarding. In today's episode, you will meet Leslie. In her 66 years on the planet, about a half of her life so far, she's been and is a travel writer, a community activist, a fine arts and antique broker, and a fairy godmother to most of the world as she travels the planet, meeting young people and connecting and uh, just spreading her little brand of light and magic uh, throughout her travels. Her life has been about curiosity, about, as she says, having a license to snoop and find out about people and about cultures and about music and about food. I think you'll enjoy the show. And without further delay, we'll get started. We're here today with Leslie. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Leslie. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be with you. To start off, tell me what things in life you uh, count. What do you keep track of in life? Oh, gosh, I guess I keep track of friends. I keep track of family, try to keep track of my bank account, uh, make sure it's not overdrawn. Uh, I keep track of my acts of kindness, and I keep track of when I have uh, the opposite. <laughs> when I'm, I'm a less than I'm less than I hope to be. <clears throat> And what do you do with that when you keep track of it? I try to be conscious of it and aware and, um, and try to correct it when I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting next to a friend of mine's wedding dress. So who's an Ethiopian, beautiful Ethiopian woman who's getting married in October. And so that makes me think of, I have a little bit of a meltdown at the wedding dress store because the, the sales girls there to treat people like three-year-olds. So I have to keep track of my patient's quotient. Interesting. Yeah, I find that it's it's interesting to learn what is important to people and what they keep track of. And, you know, I've gone through a lot of my life ignoring lots of stuff that I finally decided was probably pretty important. And uh, so those are some interesting things to uh, to keep track of, especially when you're being kind and when you're when you're not. Um, It's a good question. It's an interesting question to think on. So, um, to start off, tell me a little bit about kind of where you are in your life 
now? Just kind of an overview of um, how things have worked out for you up to this point and uh, a balance sheet of uh, where your life is. Well, I think uh, I'm 66 years old and so done a good amount of living. I think where I'm at right now is an incredible place of gratefulness that I have good health, that I have continue to have interesting work and interesting friends. I've lost a lot of people, like many people have it at our age. I had a, a couple-year run, two, three years, where I lost something like 20 friends and relatives. So I'm very uh, intimately uh, aware of grief. I had to make friends with grief. Um, wow, that's pretty significant to lose that many friends in a short period in a couple of years. It was. It was. Uh, I was going to to hospice for grief counseling, and every week I'd walk in, I'd say to the wonderful Marcia Goldman at Visiting Nurse and Hospice in Santa Barbara, you're not going to believe this, someone else died. And the only thing I could kind of compare it to, I said, this is like someone in the military that loses their platoon, or, you know, we have these horrible school shootings now and, and at festivals and churches, when you lose a whole bunch of people all at once, of course, those are much more violent deaths than I experienced. The deaths I experienced were over a variety of reasons, mostly illness, some were old age. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, talk a little bit about how that, uh, how you did deal with that grief process. Is it something you'd had uh, done some work with around death in the, before, or is it something you had a face that was different? How did that, how did you deal with that much very differently. The first really significant death in my life was when I was 29 and my fiance was brutally murdered. And I didn't know how to deal with death at that time. I probably had PTSD, which was not a diagnosis at that period of time. Right. In 1982, I think it was not even in the book till 1986. And so um, I did not go to grief counseling. I'm a writer. So I tend to write things out, investigate things in that case. Um, so I, I, I didn't deal with it very effectively. Uh, this time around, going to grief counseling was extremely helpful. Uh, ritual so back, can, can we back up a second? Sure. So that's obviously a huge thing, having your fiance murdered. Mm -hmm. And so what effect did it have? You didn't get, uh, obviously, the help that... Uh, that probably would have been beneficial, but what, how did you deal with that as best you could? What happened after that? Oh, I wrote a book. I tried to figure out, I went all over the country and tried to investigate and find out who murdered him. Um, I had a lot of fear for my own life. I was, it was very traumatizing as you can imagine. I had a lot of nightmares. Um, you know, time, 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 time. Did you ever find who did it? No, and interestingly enough, uh, every once in a while I'll do a little research, and, and just recently there was a story in the paper interviewing detectives about what was the one case that bothered them their whole life, and the detective who was now retired, was the head of the police department or something for a while, said that was the one case that haunted him that he could never solve. So it was never solved. Wow. So how long till you actually were able to... When, when did you write the book? How, how 
how soon after that happened did you write? Oh gosh, I, I don't remember. I spent quite a few years on it, traveling around the country and researching it. And I remember it was interesting when I mailed, it was not published. The book was not published. When I mailed it to my agent, I remember walking down the hill from my house. I lived in a little town called Summerland in a tiny little house with a wonderful view of the sea. And we, we only had post office boxes there, no mail delivery. And I remember carrying that book down to the post office because in those days it wasn't internet and mailing off this manuscript and it really didn't matter what happened to it it was like this huge weight was lifted off of my shoulder so I think you know for me as a writer writer is writing is very therapeutic and in, in this case you know and still to this day you know that's it, it you know that was how I how I dealt with it I'm sure it had much wider ranging, long range effects. Uh, it certainly did in terms of relationships and fear of losing someone again. And, you know, like a, like a stone in the river, <laughs> there were many repercussions as a result of that. So how, how did things proceed after that in your life from that point on? Uh, um, that's when I, it was soon after that I became a travel writer. And uh, so life proceeded quite nicely. Um, I've, you know, traveled all over the world on assignment, which has been just marvelous. And writing on other subjects as well, but that was sort of, that was definitely the emphasis initially, because we had traveled a lot. So yeah, I have a pen that's like my magic carpet and continues to take me wonderful places to this day. Um. What caused you to want to become a travel writer? Did you want to become a writer first and it just, you sort of just came into the travel side or what caused you to become a travel writer? What was your interest in terms of, uh, uh, did you always have the travel bug? And Well, when I was a kid, my mom put me on the train when I was young. I used to ride the train by myself. In those days, the porters would look after you. And I grew up in a very bohemian family. My father was a very talented jazz pianist. My mother had been an actress, but worked as a social worker. There wasn't a lot of money. We didn't do a lot of traveling. And I just had always had wanderlust. So, you know, I didn't go to summer camps. I didn't, we didn't, I had a few trips as a child with aunts and my grandmother, car trips to Washington, D.C. and cross country. And, you know, it's funny, I used to, when I was a kid on this one cross country trip, they had the auto club book. And I got to pick out where we were going to stay. So I would always look in the book and I look for the hotels or motels that had swimming pools. So I, I guess it was sort of ingrained at an early age that I was, you know, I wanted to travel. And I took my first trip out of high school to England. I saved up money and went on in those days a charter flight and, and stayed with friends of my parents in London and, and went to the continent to Amsterdam and Paris and never stopped. Cool. Yeah, I'd like to hear more about that. I've always had the travel bug. I always have been kind of a uh, a hunter and an explorer, and I've always liked to. I've I've got sixty three countries under my belt. But wow, I think you beat me on that one. We'll have to compare notes one day. <laughs> I don't even feel like I've scratched the surface. It's a big planet. It uh, is. It's it's a big world out there. Are do you are you interested in going to space? Yeah, I'd love to go to space. Mm. I'd uh, I'd love to do that, but that may that one may not be in the cards. But uh, I've always uh, enjoyed just getting, especially out of the country. I've probably seen more outside the U.S. than I have uh, 
Well, I've been to, I think, 48 states as well, but still a lot to see within this country. Um, what gets you What gets you most excited in terms of the travel? What do you do when you go to a new place? Well, it's always different. It sort of depends. I just finished a car trip to uh, the Southwest, and I've been traveling to New Mexico since I was a kid. And that's still just as exciting for me on this trip, uh, going to the Pueblos. I went to the corn dance. Uh, cultures, people, you know, food. I uh, do rest. I've, I'm a foodie. Wines, museums, everything. Scenery, <laughs> swimming, whatever. I mean, there's so much the world has to offer. And making friends along the way. You know, whether it's in the airplane on the flight over or when you land. I have friends all over the world. I'm very lucky. Brazil and Spain and England and... Um, so. Yeah, no, that resonates with me. I, uh, I'm not as much on the, the, the tourist side in terms of uh, take going to all the tourist attractions, all the temples and uh, all that kind of stuff has never been my forte, but uh, meeting new people and seeing how they live their lives and, and you know, what the cuisine is and, and uh, also the terrain, the topography, and, you know, there's just so many beautiful places in the world. Um, that are completely different than what you what you see uh, in your own little part of little part of the world. And uh, don't forget the music. I love the music. So yeah, whether it's an opera or classical concert or you know street drumming, whatever. I you know I've had a couple of trips. I've had to cancel to Cuba and Cuba, and I'm very excited to go there, particularly because of the music and the art. Anyway. Yeah. So what would you, what would you say would be your top three countries uh, that you enjoyed the most if you had to rank them? I'm very partial to Latin America. I'm a community activist. And so I, after I went to Modern Elder Academy, I spent a month in Mexico to improve my, mi español. Yo hablo un poquito español. So I'm, I'm very fond of, of Mexico, Guatemala, Brazil, Peru, Spain, Portugal. I just like the warm Latin cultures and food. But, you know, there's a, that doesn't mean I don't love Thailand and Indonesia. I've been to about 13 islands in Indonesia. And I have not been to Africa, so that's high on my list. But I have this Ethiopian friend, as I mentioned, getting married soon. So one day I hope it was so cute. She put on her wedding dress and she started jumping up and down. And, and she said, this is how we show we're happy in Ethiopia. Like, how cool is that, right? You just jump up and down and do this beautiful dance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Africa is the, uh, is the place I've been uh, tra- the least traveled as well. And I'd like to spend more, more time. I've been to South Africa. but uh, mm. but uh, uh, And I'm half Italian, so I love Italy. I'm half Sicilian. So who doesn't love Italy? <laughs> Nobody. Everybody loves Italy. <laughs> no, it's it's awesome there. I just actually had a trip in the uh, uh, last month in the uh, Ukraine, and I had my mm. uh, colleague, and there was an Italian from uh, actually living in Malta now. But uh, we had lots of conversations about uh, uh, lifestyle in Italy and the importance of family, and he actually has a sister that uh relocated to connecticut and recently the last few years and they had some distant cousins and we talked a lot about how different the uh, the american culture is versus uh, what it is in italy in terms of uh, especially being centered around family 
Oh yeah, everybody lives very close. My grandparent, my grandparents, and aunts and uncles all lived within a couple of blocks of each other. And it, you know, this culture now we're so spread out. People move thousands of miles away, but that's not that's not Italian, and that's not old school. And it's and that's a Latin culture too, Mexican culture as well. And they're nice to their elders. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, and I think the thing I found because I spent a fair amount of time in, in South America, um, as well as Mexico and Panama and Belize, but um, just in general, seem to be. I mean, it's different from country to country, but the, they generally just seem to be very happy. The kids may have very little; they may have very little in terms of material things, but. They just tend to be pretty happy, and they know how to enjoy life in a way that's uh, maybe somewhat lost in this country. Uh, how about uh, uh, Australasia? You said you've been to some of the islands in uh, Indonesia, Polynesia. What about Australia, New Zealand? Have you been there? I have not been down under. I'm, it's on my list. <laughs> yeah, Especially the wines of New Zealand. Yeah, New Zealand is probably my favorite place on the planet. Uh, Everybody loves New Zealand, but they have earthquakes. They're in terrorist attacks. But anyway. <laughs> well, there's not as many things that can kill you in New Zealand as there are in Australia. There's always two sides of the coin, but it's just, uh, you know, you talk about a country the size of California that has, I don't know, what, three million people and a lot more sheep. And uh, no. you, know, you really can't go anywhere where you don't make a friend and where people just are relaxed and friendly and the cuisinas and the wines are, are great as well but queen queenstown new zealand which is the adventure capital of the world is you know probably my favorite place in the world that place is just uh just unbelievable uh, what a cool place that is uh and what about in uh in asia japan china no no just no, just thailand i've been to thailand and a couple of islands there and yeah Anyway, I was going to say one of the things that I've done to supplement my meager writing income as a travel writer is I've, I have a, a, an art background, fine art and antiques background. So um, before I became a writer and traveled, I would buy things on my trips and bring them back and sell them to you know, help pay for the trips. But I've sort of refined that in recent years. And I work with international auction houses all over the world. So I work with Sotheby's and Christie's and Bonham's and, and, and the others. And um, have clients that, for instance, when I was in Portugal, I was going to stay at an Airbnb. And the guy said, oh, I see you have fine art and antiques broker on your list of all your things you do. And I have these 150,000 tiles that were in my grandfather's library. Anyway, long story short, turned out he had a, a sculpture in the library he thought was a fake that turned out to be quite valuable that we sold for him at Sotheby's in London. So, wow. Yeah, so that's a lot of fun. So my other, the other hat I wear, I have three hats. One is writing. The other is uh, activism, which I mentioned briefly. I'm a local community activist. And then the art and antiques business. So it's really fun if someone has an estate. Right now I'm working on an estate for a world-famous hot air balloonist that passed away and um, replacing all of his paraphernalia from flight suits to other things. With uh, We're looking for the right fit right now with the auction houses. Wow, that's interesting. So you always have a reason to tra travel somewhere and you always can find some business reason and uh... – 
Yeah, but ironically, everybody thinks I'm on vacation or that I don't work because I work at home. So. <laughs> well, it's like every place is a vacation, right? That you, that you do a little work while you're on vacation. I don't know. I don't even know what a vacation is. I think a vacation is, what is a vacation? For me, it's probably, you know, swimming in the ocean or, or swimming in a pool. Well, you're not saying you're a workaholic, are you, Leslie? No, I mean, I I will tell you the one thing you you started off asking me about, like, where are you at now in your life? I was, I, for many, many years, I thought I was going to fall off the planet. I had to work so hard as a freelance writer. And I worked in New York for a couple of years. I worked at Vanity Fair and for Harry Evans at Condé Nast Traveler. And I did 21 trips one year out of New York City on assignment, mostly to the Caribbean at that time, because that was a, in Europe. That was the destination out of New York. Um, but now things are a little easier financially. I can, I'm on the cage, but the cage I'm running on is quite comfortable pace. It's not frantic. And I, I woke up one day and I realized, hey, you keep thinking you're going to fall off the planet, and you haven't. So, but yeah, had to hustle. It's, it's not easy being a freelance writer. <laughs> no, I guess there's a, must be a, a tremendous amount of competition. Well, it's not so much the competition. I've always been published and, and had contracts. It's just what happened with the internet. Like what's happened to photographers, the publishing industry, the pay is plummeted. I, I met a young, very talented freelance travel writer recently when I was in Cabo San Lucas. And she told me she had written 63 articles in the previous month. I don't think I write that many articles in a year. I mean, that's crazy. In a month? A month. Now, maybe she's doing blog posts that are 15 words or something. I don't know what the heck she's doing. I, I mean, she, when did she sleep? Interesting. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so let's, uh, if we could, Lessa, let's back up a little bit and tell me a little bit about your... Uh, I want to back up a little bit and let's talk a little bit about your early life. What kind of uh, experience did you have growing up? Did you have traumas, challenges, uh, fun? What, what, was, what were the things that happened growing up that informed uh, what, uh, what kind of an adult you became? Oh, I had a perfectly delightful, wonderful childhood. I was... Um, I was the first born on both sides, so that probably contributed to that with my grandmothers and grandfather. Yeah. And I was I was a happy, bright, enthusiastic child. I skipped the grade, I skipped second grade, I was reading before kindergarten. I had a wonderful imagination. I won little awards at school for writing stories with my mother's help. I had wonderful parents. My mother was is still alive, she'll be 90 next year. A, a really interesting, engaged, wonderful mother. Uh, my father is a musician. It was always great growing up with jazz as a backdrop in our house. And I was a free, you know, a free child. They, you know, they were bohemians. So I had a very free childhood. And then, of course, as a teenager, I was during the hippie period. So we had a lot of fun, you know. <laughs> yeah. Flower children and... California, pot smoking, banana peels, love-ins. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I was very lucky. Uh, the only trauma I had, 
was when my parents divorced and I was shocked because I didn't see their, their unhappiness was not evident to me. And I suppose that's a good thing. Um, you know, and, and how, how old were you? I was about 12 years old. It was, and it was around the time Kennedy was assassinated. But I remember, it was funny, I still drive that stretch of the freeway, and I remember my mother telling me in the car, and I was very shocked. Um, yeah, and there were a couple of other things that happened after that. I don't know that I feel comfortable talking about them, but certainly. Okay. Yeah, not trauma like murder kind of trauma, but yeah, you know, I wasn't all rosy, but my mother did say I looked at the world through rose-colored glasses. Um. Well, that's really not a bad thing, is it? I don't know. <laughs> I, can't say it. I, I I try to, I try to, like I said, you asked me in the beginning, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to have my health, my friends, a roof over my head, work that I enjoy. So what, what would you say that, that as you went out as an adult into life, that your, what was your story of what life was, what life was about, what you were about? Curiosity. Curiosity. It's all about curiosity. That's why I'm a journalist, asking questions. If people get bugged, I say, I have a license to snoop. I'm, and I'm genuinely curious about people. I want to know their stories. You know. Huh. Yeah, it's very, very similar to me. I'm going to have to use that license to snoop. I like that. <laughs> um, what hap- what's going to happen uh, in terms of what you want to create from now on? You've got a lot oh. of things obviously going on. Do you have some new things that you want to create or some different things in your life? What's, what's, yeah. the, biggest, what's the biggest challenge in front of you now? Thank you for asking. Yeah, uh, basically I'm working on a book. Uh, I have a couple of published books and I have a couple of unpublished books. And uh, the, I'm excited about the book I'm working on now. So, And then I also in New Mexico got an idea with a artist which is really fun for some kind of magic realism children's books so i'm working on those and those i just powered on when i was there it was just like woo that was fun you know and poetry i've i've written poetry off and on and won a couple little awards i went to a party yesterday everybody had to read poems and i thought ah what am i going to read and i dashed out a poem yesterday morning that was oh it's what the flow it's about the flow you know when the flow is happening, it's just so awesome and magical, you know, so getting into the flow. So what's your technique for getting into the flow? So you wrote, you, you wrote that poem just off, the, just off the top of your head, just sat down and wrote it quickly? I wouldn't say that everything comes off the top of your head. I would say I'm always talking inside my head and things are brewing, you know, like I ate a peach Saturday. And a sent, that, that was an, I did two short poems, a short poem and a long poem. The short poem was about this delicious succulent peach dripping down my lips, you know. Mm. And, it was, and it was just like, oh, my God, this is so sensual. I've got to, you know, I've got to get this down, you know. But it's, it's always in the head. You know, it's always there. It's not you just sit, to, and sit down and it comes out. It's brewing, you know. You're in the shower somewhere without a pen and something comes to you. Yeah, for me, usually when you're not trying to think about it or not trying to uh, create something, is uh, where the, the best inspirations come from. 
Right. When it's forced, it, you know, when it's forced, I, I, I say I won second place for two years in a row in a, in a little local poetry contest. And I went, okay, I got to win this year. I got to get first, you know? And I, and I knew I was, I was trying too hard. And I thought, you know, these just aren't working. You're just trying too hard before you weren't thinking about it. You just let it, let it flow. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned in my life. The more I use my logical brain and the more I try and figure everything out and plan things out, the more things uh, don't don't really work out the way I thought I wanted them to work out. And the more I just let go of it and just kind of deal with what shows up. I don't know if you ever read the book, um, The Untethered Soul. I haven't, no. By... Uh, 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 singer, and uh, but it talks really about how to just deal with what shows up in life and not listen to your logical mind that's constantly or your ego that's constantly telling you um, what you ought to be doing, what people are going to think of you if you don't do this or that. And you know, most people just think that's who's in charge that logical mind and uh, letting go of that and just trying to uh, just deal with what shows up and without all the thinking is. Uh, is an entirely different way of approaching it. I think that's part of the joy of aging is, you know, you don't give a fuck, <laughs> you know, or you do. And uh, you listen to your gut, your intuition, and, and uh, you know, follow your song. Yeah. Do you, do you think in your group of uh, the people in your, in your age range that that's true, that many have finally decided to not worry about all the other stuff and just let go? Well, I, I, think, I think for most people, it greatly depends on, on people's financial circumstances. You know, some people are able to, if they're, you know, maybe they have a good pension or they started their social security, they choose to work or they can work part time for others. Not so much. So, you know, again, it's being on that, grind that hamster wheel I, I i do think that that plays a big part well i mean finances always do but i wasn't even referring to the finances just just the ability to not care about what other people think and to live your own life and move forward with the way you you want to do it um, well i think that's a personal thing that people come to you know like if they're if they're secure you know and they're secure in who they are and they like themselves as opposed to feeling they have to be a certain way. I think when we're younger, particularly relationships, you know, I think about that with boyfriends and stuff in younger years, you know, you tend to mold more and, and maybe we get more set in our ways. So I don't know if that's good or bad as we get older, but you know who you are. And it's sort of like, okay, this is it. Take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's kind of freeing to say this is, you know, not that you're not uh, uh, courteous and compassionate to other people and, and, and caring, but you're also, you know, giving up who you are to uh, please somebody else just generally doesn't work out in the right. long term. Well, we're all flawed. So, you know, that's a given. And mm. sometimes we think we become more exaggerated versions of ourselves as we get older. I was going to say we're all perfect. Oh, good for you. <laughs> I'm glad you've received per achieved perfection. I have. And part of that perfection is these, these, uh, these ideas of making mistakes or doing things wrong. That's all part of the perfection. So 
Uh-huh. You know, it's just kind of language. What language? I don't know. That's kind of the way you look at it. Um, what would say if you look back on your life so uh, so far, Leslie? What would you say your most proud moment was? My most proud moment. Um, well, I think my most proud moment is something that's ongoing, and that is that I'm 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 something that not very many people are. And that's, I'm a fairy godmother. And okay. I and I have fairy godchildren all over the world, in Spain and Brazil and London, and great fairy godchildren. And that was a gift to me from a friend many, many years ago because I was unable to have children. I was very sad about it because I love children. And he was a rare book dealer in England specializing in children's illustrated books. And I, and he said, well... You know, you can't have children, but you can be a fairy godmother. And my daughters, Olivia and Carolina, could be your fairy goddaughters. I went, oh, how wonderful. So wow. I, I, I am their fairy godmother, but I carry a little magic stick in my purse that has moons and stars and moonbeams and things in it. And I whip it out at least two or three times a day, whether I'm on an airplane or at the grocery store or talking to the kids in the neighborhood. And it's in kind of a gel that's slow motion. And these kids become fascinated. And I have conversations with children. And that's what, I don't know if that's what I'm most proud of, but that's what I enjoy the most, what keeps me feeling young, which keeps me in touch with young people. Um, And it's so much fun. I wrote a story about it. It's on Next Avenue, which is a website you may not be familiar with, about how I became a fairy godmother, and you can become one too. And so, yeah, that's that's probably most people will say their children or their grandchildren. Well, I don't, I don't have children or grandchildren, but I have a swell pack of fairy god kids, and I continue to pick them up daily. <laughs> that's unbelievable. That's well, it, it, you believe I was in, when I was in uh, Mexico, there was a little girl. I went to the beauty parlor on my birthday and there was a little girl there. And I said, yo soy ha madrina. I am a fairy godmother. And her little girlfriends around her said, you know, how do you know? She said, yes, she is. Yes, she is. And, and they said, how do you know? And she goes, en la noche, in the night. And yeah. you know, it's to be in touch with young children and their make-believe world and their believing in magic is such a, a wonderful, rich thing you know, we don't all keep in our lives. And we, we need to keep the inner child alive. Wow, that is, that is something really to be proud of. It's just a, <laughs> it's, and it all it required was you to just uh, to have an inspiration, your friend in London, right? Yeah. I mean, probably you would have done it, you would have found a way to do it anyway, but it's always interesting when you have somebody that gives you an idea or inspiration where it resonates and then you say, well, that's what I'm going to do, be a fairy godmother. Well, you can make lemons out of lemonade or you could make being childless a uh, fairy godmother, I guess. <laughs> wow, that's very, that's very inspiring. Thank you. It's fun. You can be a fairy godfather. You just have to find yourself a magic wand. I'm going to have to look for a magic wand. 
Listen, I've been looking. Someone gave me this one I have that fits in my purse, and it's so great on the airplanes and stuff. When kids are having meltdowns at concerts or the airplane or grocery stores, their mothers are distracted. You know, they just focus on this little thing. You can find big ones, but if you come across any of the purse travel size ones, let me know. I went into a store yesterday. She said, I order from all over, and I, I can't get them. I said, just the big ones, right? She said, yeah. I said, gosh. This thing's been all over the world with me, and I, I need a replacement in case I lose it. <laughs> well, send me a picture of that one. I'll, I'll see it. We'll see if we can find some, if we can find some more. Okay, good luck. You might be spinning some magic if you do. <laughs> I might be spinning some magic, yeah. Um, you asked me earlier before we called about whether I'd go into space. Uh, would you uh, go to uh, Mars? You know, um, I guess I would, but, you know, and it might be kind of cool to see what it's like being in a spaceship. But I'm, I don't know, I'm more interested in, I'd rather go swim with the Honu, with the turtle in Hawaii. I'd rather go in the ocean. Yeah, well, especially if you don't even know if you're coming back. <laughs> well, that's a whole other subject. Are you going to get into reincarnation here or what? <laughs> well, no, I was talking about this lifetime. <laughs> I, know. I know, I'm teasing you. But uh, yeah, that for me, I'm not worried about that one. We don't have too much time left, Leslie. Uh, let's go back to what you talked about, what you with losing so many friends and family. That uh, mm -hmm. what's your what's your view of of the end of death? How's it informed uh, how you're looking at your life? I had a very strange experience six years ago when I was with my father when he passed away. Uh, he was in the hospital. And he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and had a Whipple surgery. And then after some time in the hospital, unfortunately caught pneumonia and died from complications from pneumonia. But I was with him, as was my aunt and my sister, at about 1.10 in the morning. Happened to be Easter morning. And... I saw this, I don't know how to describe it. I call it the big whoosh. I saw this mass above from his feet and across his body move very rapidly across his body and out his forehead. It just went swunk like that. And I looked at my aunt and I said, he's gone. And she said, what? And then I turned to my sister and I said, go get the nurse. And he, in fact, had passed away. I, I, assume I saw his spirit, his energy, whatever batteries it is that makes the body go, leave his body. I have no idea where it went. Um, I have had, I'm a sensitive. I have had, I did have sort of things that happened after that that were sort of like signs perhaps. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What ha you had other things that were related to that, you think, as well? Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, I've had other mm -hmm. things over the years. Uh-huh. Off and on over the years, yeah. And I had a very interesting view, and I are both graduates of the Modern Elder Academy, and I had a really life-altering session with Saul up on the mountain. We were alone for, what is it, four hours. And... Uh, I won't go into details, but when I came back into that room with the other participants at the school, they were all like vibrating cells. I said, though, I said, I can't even talk to you guys. I'm just, I'm vibrating and you're just a mass of cells. <laughs> I just, you know. um, 
so there are other dimensions there are other vibrations um i, I don't know uh, you know it's a mystery well yeah i believe that uh, there's lots of things we don't really understand but if you pay attention uh it changes your uh it changes your own energy changes how you feel and uh so I like it here right now. I'm enjoying it very much. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm not in any hurry to check out, you know, what's on the other side, if there is another side. Well, I got to tell you, Leslie, um, that talking to you has been fantastic. It's really very inspiring. And, you know, every time I talk to somebody and hear their story and, you know, everybody's got their share of challenges and trauma and tragedy and, no matter what life is and they've got good things that have happened and you know it's it's just fascinating to me to understand how people process those things and how that and what choices they make and mm -hmm. you've you just have made so many choices to be positive to pay attention to what life has to offer and to make the uh, most of it in terms of your exploration and your being a fairy godmother and being a traveler and a writer and an activist and it's a uh, it's really a great story and i think that other people that that hear that will also be inspired and i think it will help other people in terms of just hearing about where you are in your life so i gotta really uh, thank you very grateful that you uh, came on to share the story with us on the podcast because you have a, a beautiful story. So thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for having me. I would like to hear your story. So I hope our conversation can be continued one day. And it was a joy speaking with you. And, and you gave me some probing, interesting questions to think about. And maybe what was the one that I said? Oh, track. What do you keep? What was it? What do you keep track of? What do you keep track of? What do you keep track of? Yeah, that might inspire a poem. <laughs> I'd like to see that. Yes, and I will tell you my story sometime in the future. I'd be happy to do that. Wonderful. But thank you for uh, for being on the show, Leslie. It was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks for listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life. If you like today's show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. All of that would be greatly appreciated. You can find me at dansimon.co on Instagram, dansimontv, or Twitter, at dansimontv. Thanks for listening to the show today. New show will be out on Monday. Have a great week.